And thank you so much for that worship. Nothing but the blood, how marvelous, and an amazing grace. That fits perfectly with the scriptures that we are going to look at today as we continue studying Colossians. So I invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we are spending a good significant amount of time in chapter 1. Uh, it's really a connected thought of Paul's from beginning to end. Uh, but today we'll look at verses 21 to 23, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. The whole book, the whole letter, uh, as we've said each week, is focused on the supremacy of Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ is enough. Um, I may use these phrases every single Sunday because they're so important for you to understand. Uh, but uh, in a town or a city like Colossae where it's people who are wanting to add to Jesus. You know, we get Disney and then if we want more of Disney, you get Disney+. Plus. Uh, we want ESPN. If you want more of ESPN, you get ESPN+. Plus. There's Paramount channels. And if you want more of Paramount, you get Paramount+. Plus. Uh, in a world where everything seems that we live in seems to be plus, 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 it is important for us to remember it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus, period. Because Jesus is complete. Jesus completes us. He fills in the hole in our heart because he himself is complete. We looked at that last week. He is completely and fully God. He is in complete control of creation, and he found complete victory on the cross. Uh, now, if you would read, uh, to keep in mind that in the day this was read, Paul sent the letter, the church would gather, the whole letter would have been read at one time. So it is just one connected thought, and so as a pastor, we try to break it down into sub-thoughts and subsections and, and different ways because... Uh, you know, I could preach the whole book in about six hours, maybe. Uh, so we could stay till supper time if you want to. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, but we do try to break it down. But you can see, especially in chapter one, this continuing thought that uh, Paul has as he's writing. Uh, introducing last week, the Christ hymn started as he concluded a section on spiritual growth. Uh, in 13, he says that, Referring to Jesus, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. And that phrase led right in to one of the greatest, uh, most profound explanations of who Jesus is. And then at the end of what we saw last week, uh, in verse, uh, starting verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, heaven, things in earth, things on heaven, a cosmic, a cosmic reconciliation by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And it's almost as soon as Paul writes it, he goes right into a deeper explanation of the cross and a deeper explanation of reconciliation. Uh, you may be thinking that there is a lot of redundancies in chapter 1, and it is. Remember how he started, thankful for the gospel, and he has taken the entire chapter 
to present a clear picture of the gospel of Jesus. And it's important. And so for us to know this and to never forget, I was reading, and you've probably heard this before, but I didn't really believe it, so I did some more research, and this is actually true, that people who are trained to identify counterfeit money, you go to a bank, the Secret Service, if to the, the first step in that training is they give them a real piece of money. And then they examine it, they touch it, they smell it, they look at it. They spend hours upon hours examining the true piece of money, the true dollar bill. So when they're presented with the false dollar bill, they recognize it as false because it doesn't look like the real one. For Christians, we have to always be consistently and constantly reminded of the truth of who Jesus is. Because if we don't know the truth, if we're not reminded of these key and core doctrines, man, we'll fall for anything. It's easy for us to slip away or to be shifted or sifted in directions that are not true. Uh, and so again, he just, Paul continues to express the great power of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, and the gospel. And so verse 21, he takes the supremacy of Christ that he talked about last week, and he applies it to individual people. He applies it to you and to me, and he says this. He says, once you were alienated, everyone, every one of you, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and you are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant. And the next week he goes right into how he is a servant. So when you read the Bible, it's all connected. There's all these wonderful transitional phrases. There's three insights we get from our short time, the short text this morning. And the first one is this. We were running away from God. All of us at one point in our life, maybe you're still, still are, but we are running far away from God. Paul describes the condition of humanity as being alienated, which means estranged from God, separated, a sense of isolation or a sense of loneliness creeps into all humanity because we are separated from God our Father, separated from uh, our Creator, and, and that separation leads to hostility. He says we were alienated, we were hostile because we are running as far away from God as humanly possible, as fast as we can. We become hostile in, our, in the way we think. He, he says in our minds, but he's talking about a mindset. It is an attitude of hostility. Where I don't, you know, and, and we've, we've interacted with people like this. You know people, maybe you were one of them, maybe you are one of them 
where you hear truth or you hear the gospel and you're like, I wanna have nothing to do with that. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I, I, I don't need God interfering in my life. That is the hostile mindset and it leads to evil actions. Now, I, I know pretty much everybody here I don't think any of you have an evil bone in your body. Uh, I, I mean, that's, that's just truth. Everybody I know in this room, you're good people. You're, I, I, there's a lot of good people. I have a lot of friends who are good people. They're not evil people. So how can a non-Christian be evil? They do good things. They don't talk about people. They don't lie. They don't steal. They don't cheat. How can they have evil actions? Well, you got to understand how we define evil and how God defines evil as two different things. God, God is perfectly holy. He is righteous. He is holy. He is perfect. There is nothing evil about him at all. And so the slightest, littlest white lie may not be evil in action, may not be evil in intent, may not have evil results, but it contradicts and violates God's perfect law and God's perfection, so it is evil. Anything that violates the law of God is evil. And all of us, at one point in time, or are today, are alienated from God. We are far apart from God because of our sin. Again, God being holy and God being perfect, God being blameless, God cannot have anything to do with sin. So it, is a, so it separates us. And so for many people, that creates hostility in the way we think about God, hostility in the way we think about nature. I mean, just look how the world is hostile to God's church. And you see this on display over and over again in our culture, on our TV shows, our news programs, our radio, the music that is being written, you see the alienation, the hostility, and the evil. And the truth is, it's a vicious cycle. The more we are alienated, the more hostile we get, the eviler we become, and then so on and so forth. <clears throat> and that's all of us, running as far away from God as possible. I want you to think about this. You may have heard this illustration before, but uh, I think about the widest, deepest part of the Grand Canyon. That doesn't even come close to describe how far our sins have separated us from God. The farthest, widest, deepest chasm in the whole earth doesn't come close to describe how far our sin alienates us from God. Now that's the bad news. But the good news is that through the physical body, through the blood of Christ, through his death on the cross, there is a bridge that we can cross to get from our side to where God is. So even though we are running and we have ran as far away from God as possible and our sin separates us from God as far as the east is from the west, you hold on to the psalm that says God 
has forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west. How? Through reconciliation. We are reconciled, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body. This is so important, especially to the the, the heresy that we'll look at in chapter 2. We just talked about how completely God and divine Jesus was. Now we see how completely human he is. He had a real physical body, a body that felt the pain of every lash that he was whipped with. A body that felt the pain of every nail that was hammered into his hands and to his feet. A body that felt every agonizing breath as he tried to breathe on the cross. He was human. The Gnostics say he wasn't. The Gnostics, who are probably the main false teachers, the foundation of Gnosticism is here. They say that Jesus couldn't have been human because humans are all evil. And so if Jesus was human, he would have been evil. But Paul makes it so clear that fully he was fully God, he was fully human, and that through his physical body, his physical death, he reconciled us, he united us with, Christ, with God through what he did on the cross. He saved us. He saved us. While we were isolated, While we were alone, he saved us. He took the punishment that we deserved. And look at this. So that through his physical death to present us, to present you, to present me as holy, faultless, and blameless. And that's powerful. While we are naturally born unholy, we are naturally born faultless. I mean, the Bible's clear. Paul talks about it in, talks about it in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1. It says, Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. But God reconciled us that one day we will be able to stand in the presence of of a holy, blameless, perfect God, and we will be able to stand there ourselves as holy, faultless, and blameless, not because of anything that I have done, but because of what Jesus did. Not because that was Jesus plus my works, not because it was Jesus plus me worshiping angels, not because it was Jesus plus me keeping the Jewish dietary guidelines, all things that Paul mentions in this letter, but just simply Jesus, through his physical body, being fully God, fully human, died and shed his blood on a cross. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We are reconciled to God. We, are, we find peace with God through what Christ did. We are reconciled. Because of Christ. And then Paul says we must remain faithful. If indeed you remain, verse 23, you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 
We must remain close to God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. A, a lot of people use this verse to point out that we are saved by our works, that we are saved by Jesus plus our good deeds. It's not at all what he's saying. It's we are saved by Christ, through, by God's, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. Jesus, period. But the result of that is fruit. The result of that is works. The result of that is we remain in Christ. Jesus tells us in, in John, throughout John's gospel and throughout other gospels that we must abide in him, that we must remain in him. We have to stay connected to the vine in order to produce fruit. So this isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about sanctification. It's talking about our spiritual growth, the process of us learning more about God every single day. The process of us doing better today than we did yesterday. The process of us being empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin that we struggle with over and over again. We have to remain faithful. We cannot be shifted away. And I want to tell you, this is for, this is for our young people. It's for everybody, but teenagers, high school students, if you don't learn how to remain faithful and if you don't learn how to defend your faith now, the next stage of your life is going to be really hard because there will be people who try to shift you away from the truth of the gospel. There will be people who try to convince you that, it's, that Jesus is not the only way. I went to a Christian college for undergrad and a Christian professor in a Christian education class told our class there was more than one way to get to heaven. If you're not prepared to defend the faith and remain faithful, then you are going to be at risk to being shifted to this way or that way. We have to remain true to the word of God. We have to remain Faithful. The world is trying to convince us to shift the line. Listen, there are churches who are shifting truth in it, and they are accepting and affirming immorality. They have ceased to be the church when they do that. They are no longer remaining faithful when they affirm sinful lifestyles and sinful behavior. And Paul makes it very clear. We have to remain connected to the gospel. We it was the gospel that changed our lives. It's the gospel that will continue to change and transform our lives. We must remain faithful. Indeed, you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. You are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel. The gospel has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant. As we remain faithful, we serve him. A little teaser for next week because it's all connected. Don't ever forget the power of what Jesus did and how we should respond. We were alienated. Christ did the work through his physical body. He reconciled us, and then we must remain faithful to him. 
as we go into this uh, time of response and invitation, listen, if you're here this morning and you're running, I mean, you're running as far away from God as possible. You may not think you're evil and you're probably not in, in the definition of the world, but if you're running away from God, then stop running. Listen, when you turn around, when you repent and you turn around, there's a savior that's going to wrap his arms around you and save you and reconcile you and love you and give you a new life. Because the truth is, no matter how far you think you're running, you'll never outrun the love of Christ, ever. There's nothing you can do, have done, or will do that will separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. The question is, are you ready to turn around and stop running and start following? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel of reconciliation. We thank you that you loved us enough, all of us enough, that you willingly sent and sacrificed your son to take my place, to take our place for the forgiveness of sins. That you desire to have an intimate life-changing relationship with every single person in this room. And Father, so I pray that that would be real for us, that we would believe, that we would repent, and that we would follow our Savior, that we, have, that we would surrender completely to the completeness and supremacy of Christ. Father, for anyone who is still running away, Father, draw them to you this morning. Help them to surrender their life. Save them from their sins. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.